from Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. Please listen to the reading of God's inerrant word. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, The great prophet has risen among them. Grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have opportunity now as your people to come before you and to hear you speak to us from your word. We thank you that we can be assured in what we read from Luke chapter 7 and even from Isaiah 55 that you are a God who is rich and bountiful in his compassion to his creation. And we pray that you would be compassionate to us now, that you would meet us, each of us, where we are. And no matter if we walk through these doors and we're unsure about the person and work of Jesus or struggling mightily with doubts or the hypocrisy that we see in our lives or whether we are, have become so comfortable in this life that we fail to recognize our great need and dependence upon you. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, Father, we pray that beneath your word you would reveal to us Jesus, that you would remind us that despite the differences between us and between the, the symptoms that we experience in this broken world, we really are all the same because we are all far more broken than we can imagine. And so we stand together in need of your grace, in need of your mercy, in need of your compassion to know that though we are far more broken than we can imagine, we are also far more loved and secure and accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible because of the person and work of Jesus in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. should have mentioned this earlier, but this being Labor Day weekend, we decided not to have children's church this morning. So um, I should have prepared you for that. Um, but uh, it is what it is, and here we are. Um, well, this morning we're continuing our series that we've been calling the the hands of the king as we look at the miracles of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And we're looking together to borrow uh, a phrase from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings at the rightful king who is known by his healing hands. Um, a popular scene that most of us have seen in either a, an action thriller kind of TV show or in a movie has been when the hero of the particular movie or TV show is, is searching for the villain. And the hero has been gathering all of the necessary clues throughout the movie and has been looking for this villain, trying to catch up with the villain, and eventually the hero turns a corner in a room or turns a corner on a, on a crowded street, and through the crowd the hero's eyes meet the villain's eyes. And across the crowd, they, their eyes lock, 
and they hold each other's gaze for a moment, right? And you can see the understanding, the recognition that exists between the hero and the villain. The air is, is thick with tension, if you will, um, as they hold each other's gaze. And that moment, right, that moment just before the bullets start to fly or the chase begins or, or whatever, that moment is very thick with tension and drama. And finally, you know, there's going to be a confrontation, right? They're going to square off. This is the moment of truth. And I think that this story in Luke chapter 7 that we heard read just a moment ago, it unfolds kind of like that. Uh, The moment here is thick with tension and drama. Jesus, he's been making waves, right? He's healed a leper, and he's restored a a man's withered hand, and he's healed the servants of a centurion, and he's been teaching, and the crowds have been amazed at with what authority he is speaking. But but see, here in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, Jesus turns a corner. He turns a corner, and through the crowd, he locks eyes with the greatest enemy, death itself. And you see how this plays out as you look at the story, right? Jesus was heading into the city of Nain, but on the way out of the city of Nain is a funeral procession, procession, and they bump into each other, and they meet. They turn the corner, and they hold each other's gaze. This widow led the way, and behind her on this stretcher is laid her only son, lifeless, cold, and dead. But, you know, despite all of my best efforts this morning to set this up for you so that you would somehow feel this tension, the, the story itself is, is very short. It's very brief. We already read it, and so you know already how it turned out, right? The hero, Jesus, the confrontation happened, and he was victorious, and he was triumphant over death. He brought this young man back to life and gave him to his mother again. But see... We need to do more this morning than simply recognize that there was a conversation. More confrontation, I mean. We need to do more than just recognize that Jesus was victorious over death in this scene. We need to ask the question, and we need to think through what this means for us. What does it mean for us that Jesus came and he locked eyes with death itself? What does it mean for us that Jesus was victorious over death and brought this young man back to life? What does it mean for us personally that Jesus enters into hopeless situations and brings hope? So listen, how can you find hope in the midst of what feels hopeless? That's what I want us to talk about this morning. I think this passage shows us three things that will help us to find hope in the midst of hopelessness. Here they are. The compassion of Jesus the touch of Jesus, and the giving of Jesus. So first, let's think together about the compassion of Jesus in this story. When Jesus saw this woman, he saw her in her hopeless condition. He had compassion on her, verse 13. But who was this woman? We don't know very much about her, but we do know several significant things about her condition. She was a widow, This path that she is now walking with her only son, she has walked this path before to the grave of her husband. 
And painful as hard as that was in her past, she at least had a son. And that was a big deal in a patriarchal society. She at least had someone to carry the family name forward. Right, someone who could protect her, who could provide for her, who could defend her. But see how Luke sets up her condition for you. It wasn't, he's, he doesn't say it was just her son. But verse 12, it was her only son who now lay lifeless and cold. Right? She was twice deserted. And at her son's death, her hope had died. I mean, she was facing a life of helplessness, of loneliness, of abandonment. Right? She, she had no power in this culture. She had no wealth. She had no family relationships left. We could, we could say more about her hopeless condition, but when Jesus turned the corner and saw her, his heart went out to her. He had compassion on her. And the Greek word that's used for compassion here in our passage, it is a very earthy word. It refers to the guts of a human being. In other words, it's a word that describes an emotion that had a physical effect on him. As one author writes, it gives the picture of someone sharing in another's grief and condition at the most elemental level. From deep within his being, Luke is telling us, when he saw her, he entered into her pain. He entered into her grief, and he had compassion on her. Some of you have heard of the researcher, the author named Brene Brown. Um, I don't know, but she still may hold the most viewed TED Talks presentation uh, ever. Um, she at least did a few months ago. She, was one, she once described the difference between empathy and sympathy. and She was talking about how when someone cries out, you know, I feel so alone, my life is so very dark, and I'm overwhelmed. And she said, sympathy comes alongside of that and says something like, yikes, it's pretty bad, isn't it? And she said, empathy is very different, all right? Empathy, she says, is feeling with people. See, empathy climbs down into the dark pit with someone else, and it says, I know what this feels like, and you are not alone. Empathy, she says, is a vulnerable choice. Because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Just this past week, I was talking on the phone with a friend of mine um, who had walked through some very difficult, very trying, overwhelming experiences in my life with me. And, And I told him as we were talking, you just, you don't know how much that meant to me. And in fact, you may never know, because I don't, I don't think I can adequately express what it meant to me to have you with me, right? Because I, and I told him this, I said, I knew you couldn't fix what was going on in my life. But to know that you were there, and to know that I wasn't alone, that's what I needed. That's what gave me hope. Listen, do you, Do you realize how startling this is, (laughs) right? Jesus, all he did was see this woman, and he connected with her hopelessness, with her helplessness. He entered into her pain at the most elemental level. 
Luke more than any other gospel writer. He, he compiles so many, many stories of Jesus being attracted to the destitute. The, he shows you all these stories to show, that, show you that his heart moves towards pain and grief and sorrow and fear and loss and hopelessness. Towards the outsiders, right? To, to lepers and tax collectors and towards the broken, the blind and the lame and towards the fallen prostitutes and thieves. Luke piles up all of these stories so that you will see that Jesus moves towards you in your hopelessness. And so I want to encourage you as we end this first point to bring your grief, to bring your sorrow, to bring your fear, even to bring your anger to Jesus. More than just He can handle it. This passage is saying He enters into it with you. You bring it to Him and He will not leave you alone. It's natural, I think, that when when in our lives we are facing some kind of circumstance where we are hurting, where we are scared, where we are feeling hopeless, that we look around us and we look for people to share that with. And we, ha- we feel out all of our relationships with, the, with questions like this. Will, will she get it? Will he understand what I'm going through? Will she be able to relate to me? And so I think it's natural that you might ask the question, of Jesus. Will he have compassion on you? Right? Will he move towards you and enter into your hopelessness? Uh, let me point out something very briefly to you here in this story. If you look at the story, no one even asked him. No one so much as said, please, Jesus. I mean, that's how eager, that's how desirous he is to enter in. He just saw her and had compassion, and was moved to action to bring hope and grace to her hopelessness. He saw her and had compassion on her. Okay, second, I want us to think about the touch of Jesus and what this touch might say to us searching for hope in our hopelessness. Like some of you, I, I am a parent, and, um, and as my kids have grown up and are still growing up, I, I cannot tell you how many times I have said, don't touch that. <laughs> I mean, I, I was unprepared to how many times I would have to use that phrase. Um, you know, don't touch that, you'll, you'll break that. Um, don't touch that, you'll make a mess. Don't touch that, you'll hurt yourself. Please don't touch that. That's disgusting. Um, all kinds of things. I've had to use that phrase, right? You follow Jesus around in the Gospels, and this is what you'll see. He is always touching things and people he shouldn't touch. But verse 14, he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. Of course they stood still. No one was supposed to touch death. And this is really, really striking if you were here last week. In the story that comes just before this, Jesus healed a centurion servant. And listen to me, Jesus didn't touch that servant. Jesus, Jesus didn't even go into the house where that servant was. Jesus didn't even lay eyes on that servant. And here's the point. He didn't need to touch this dead man in order to bring him back to life. But listen, Jesus, follow him around in the Gospels, and he is always touching things. He's not supposed to touch. And he's doing it to make a point, 
And he's doing it so we'll pay attention to it. See, this was a big, big deal. And you can read about this in Numbers 19. Anyone who touched a dead body was unclean. Anyone who touched someone who touched a dead body was unclean. Anyone who entered a tent or a house where someone had died was unclean. Anyone who touched a human bone or a grave was unclean. But when Jesus touched this stretcher, carrying this dead man, he wasn't afraid. And he didn't rush off to do the required ceremonial cleansing that was required for the next seven days. He simply reached into death itself, and he commanded the young man to rise. In verse 15, he sat up and began to speak. Here's the point Jesus wants you, to, you and me to pay attention to. He will touch death, and he will bring life And he won't do ceremonial cleansing for himself because he is life itself. And he is able with ease to pull you right through death itself into life. All the Bible scholars point out about this passage how closely it parallels a story in the Old Testament, a story about the prophet Elijah who also raised another widow's dead son. And it does. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 17. And the people present on this day, they seemed to get it, didn't they? Verse 16, fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. But do you know what was different? Elijah pleaded with God to raise this young man in 1 Kings chapter 17. But Jesus didn't. He was God in the flesh. He was life itself. He himself reached into death, and he pulled this young man back to life. At the end of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books, um, the character Aragorn, he went into the houses of healing in the city of Gondor. And I include a small portion of a part of that story on the front of, in the quote on the front of your bulletin. But Aragorn, he stooped and he looked down into Eowyn's face, and it was light as a lily cold as frost, graven as stone, Tolkien writes. Eowyn Edmund's daughter, awake, Aragorn said, for your enemy has passed away. The shadow is gone and all darkness is washed clean. You can read the whole thing on your own. In in Tolkien's book, much more so than in the movies, the true identity of this character Aragorn It's kept a mystery until the very end. And so everybody's asking, who is this guy? He goes by the name Strider sometimes, and he's this wandering ranger in the stories. So this was a huge moment of revelation in Tolkien's story that he's writing because everyone was looking on. Everyone was whispering to each other. They were remembering an old prophecy that went like this. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. See, this is what happens if you come to church on Labor Day while everybody else is out of town. You find out why I named this entire series The Hands of the King. Um, But anyway, um, in the verses that immediately follow our passage, John the Baptist sent people to ask Jesus a question. He was asking this question, who is this man? Right? He sent his disciples to ask, 
are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Listen to Jesus in verse 22 and 23 of Luke chapter 7. Jesus said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus was saying, I am the rightful king whose hands are the hands of a healer. I can bring back from the dead what the fall has taken. Take it, taken, taken. There are many of you, I think right now, who are wondering, because I talk to you throughout the week, right? And some of you are asking the question, if you are beyond the reach and beyond the touch of Jesus. And, you know, maybe some of your reasoning goes, if you just knew what I did last week, right? What I thought, what I said, what I looked at this past week. Or if you knew how many times I've fallen back into the same old sins. Or if you knew where I've been and this kind of shame that I live with. And you begin to think, there may be hope for some. But I don't know if there's any for me. If any passage will confront you, this passage should. Because this passage says you definitely can't be too far gone. Right? Your shame cannot be too deep. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. Here is a young man who has suffered the full and final consequence of sin, death itself, and with ease, Jesus just lifts him up through it. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And he can heal you with his touch and lift you through even death itself. Okay, finally and third, I want us to think about the giving of Jesus. I want, I want you to think with me about this, this small phrase at the end of verse 15. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Here was this widow... And she lost her only son. Her hope had died. But there was hope in the midst of hopelessness. Because Jesus gave her back what the fall and sin took from her. I've held off as long as I could this morning. But in thinking through this passage, it's very important for you not to limit your understanding of death to the physical act of dying. As soon as Adam and Eve fell into sin, as soon as they sinned in the garden, death entered the world. And I encourage you to read that story again in Genesis chapter 3 to see this. Because everything in creation began to go the way of death and decay and breakdown. Creation itself started to unravel with thorns and with thistles and with struggle, right? Relationships of harmony were now filled with discord. Shame and brokenness and pain and death became the chorus of all creation. So listen, wherever, and I mean wherever, life is diminished. Wherever it is dulled, death is present. Its icy fingers pervade sickness 
and infertility and loneliness and fractured relationships and frustrated careers and poverty and injustice and suffering and also certainly our sin, the greed and the bitterness and the self-centeredness and the arrogance, it is all death at work in us, dulling and diminishing life. And so I think we need to hear this clearly, that Jesus came, he came to give you back what the fall and sin have taken from you. He gave him to his mother. A comedian I listened to from time to time, he was joking about how he's now at the age where his body is falling apart, and he said that he's realizing now that when things break on his body, they just stay broken. And so you know, he feels like it's, oh, my hip hurts, I guess forever, right? It's what it feels like when you're getting old, right? And I feel like I, I, I'm beginning to relate to some of that. I, I need glasses to read the fine print now. You know, I've got degenerative discs in my back. My doctor keeps telling me that my cholesterol levels are certainly not what they should be. Um, at least that's what he thinks. Um, you know, arthritis in my neck. I mean, I've got all of these problems. I feel like I'm falling apart, right? But you know... Here's what else I'm, I'm beginning to realize in my aging. There are so many things in this life that I'm beginning to understand I will never do. There are things that I want to accomplish that I'm never going to get around to. There are places I'd love to visit. I'm probably never going to make it, right? Right? And it also puts me in a position to begin to realize that there are relationships in my life that very well will always carry carry with them the stings of regret, right? Wounds do heal, but they leave scars and reminders of brokenness and death. There are sins in my life that are a regular struggle, and I grow weary and tired of it like you do. And I look forward to the day when the struggle will be over. And you know what? In Jesus bringing this young man back to life, he's hinting at something. One day, one day someday, the struggle will be over. One day someday, he is going to give us back everything the fallen sin took from us. The physical breakdown, sure, but also every broken relationship will be mended fully. The world will be remade in all its glory for you to enjoy for an eternity. And He will restore and give back to us our humanity and remove every trace of sin from our lives. And here's how we can know that. The people present on this day... They saw this scene unfold when Jesus turned the corner and confronted death. And they were right when they said, God has visited his people. Jesus came, God in the flesh. And just think through what we've said this morning. God himself entered all the way in. He so closely identified with us in our brokenness in our sorrow and in our sin, that he became sin for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He entered all the way in to climb a cross and to die in our place. 
I mean, he, he didn't die with friends by his side. He died utterly and completely alone and forsaken. He didn't just touch death. He embraced it fully. It was his choice of ultimate vulnerability to embrace death for you. But please do not forget this. Because these people were looking backwards to stories about Elijah. Jesus most certainly was looking forwards to his own death. Because the gospel is not just the crucifixion, but it is also the resurrection. Three days after his death, he rose again, triumphant over sin and death. And the resurrection is God's receipt marked paid in full. It is his receipt that he is going to give back everything that the fall and the sin have taken. His, it's his receipt, to use another Tolkien phrase, that everything sad will come untrue. You know what this does for you? I think it, it makes it okay for you to let your regrets go in this life. If one day, someday, Jesus will give back everything that sin and the fall took, then this makes it okay. It makes it even joyful to sacrifice and experience loss for the sake of others. It changes the way you face trials and sufferings in this life. Only with this in place can you face those things and consider them joy. You can do that when you find hope and hopelessness. Because if this is true, if what we're saying is true, all your regrets in this life they will only add to your joy in the next. Now, let me end with just two brief points of application. First is very simple. Show others compassion. I, I skipped right over this place earlier in the, in the passage where Jesus had compassion on this woman. And it, it, he first told her in verse 13, do not weep. Let me say this to you. Do not say that to people who are weeping. Only Jesus is allowed to say that. Right? It's appropriate for Jesus to say that because he isn't dismissing her pain or suffering or her feelings. What he is doing is he is hinting at what is about to come. As the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the Romans that we need to learn how to weep with those who weep. If you have come to Jesus and you have found hope and hopelessness, it should be freeing you to enter into the sorrows of others and into their very tears, to bear their burdens and to weep with them and to come alongside them, to climb down into the pit with them, because that takes tremendous vulnerability. And the resource for that kind of vulnerability, it springs from an assurance that comes from knowing the compassion, the touch, and the giving of Jesus personally. Second and last, tell others about Jesus. Verse 17, and this report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The good news that God has visited his people, that God himself entered into our sorrows, that God himself came to die the death we deserve in order to give us the life that only he deserved. It, please hear me. This isn't 
an evangelism guilt trip for you this morning. If this is true, and it is, we can't be silent. These people saw it. They couldn't be silent. God, the God we serve is full of compassion. He has touched death to bring life, and He will give everything the fall has taken back to us. Come to Jesus. The hands of the King are the hands of a healer. He alone can give us the hope we need in the midst of our hopelessness. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We are Your creation. We are made to hear Your Word. We are made to see Jesus in Your Word. And we pray that this morning You would remind us of His compassion, of His touch, and of His giving. Father, we pray that You would allow us to see Him with the eyes of faith in order that we might have hope in the midst of our hopelessness, in order that we can see that we can finally let some of our regrets go, in order that we can find the resources to be compassionate to those around us and to be vulnerable enough to enter into their sorrows, in order that we might share the good news of the King who came, the King who came and entered in in order to become sin for us, in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we pray that this good news would send us out today with hope, hope for a hopeless and dying world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.